Welcome to the McGuire Iron Podcast. My name is Brian Cooper. I am the Director of Marketing at McGuire Iron and your host for this podcast. At McGuire Iron, we've been helping to store and protect quality water for over 100 years. On this episode, we will discuss the new NSF 600 coating standards and what they mean in the water tank industry with Murray Haywood, who is Sherwin-Williams Water and Wastewater Regional Market Manager for North America. Murray Haywood has been in the paint and coating business for over 38 years, essentially his entire working life. Murray grew up in a paint and coating family business, working for his father in the early part of his career. Murray worked as an applicator, foreman, project manager, and contractor until the age of 35. In 1998, Murray decided to change directions and accept a job as an industrial sales representative for ICI Devo Coatings. Since 1998, he has worked in various capacities for ICI Devo, International Protective Coatings, Sherwin-Williams, and owner and operator of Haywood Innovative Solutions, a coating inspection and consulting firm. Murray currently holds the position of North America Market Manager of the Water and Wastewater Division for the Sherwin-Williams Company. Murray is a NACE and SSPC instructor teaching the coding inspection courses. Murray currently sits on several SSPC and AWWA technical committees and is the current chair of the SSPC Ontario Canada chapter. Murray, thank you for joining me on the McGuire Iron Podcast. Happy to be invited. So NSF 600, this is a new new standard that's going to come out in January 1st of 2023, and there's a lot of buzz in the coatings world about it. What what is NSF 600 and, and what's all this buzz about, Murray? Well, really what it is, is uh, we've been, we've been, so it's NSF 61 and uh, slash 600. So it's, it's, it's just a revision to the old standard. And, and what it is basically is um, they've, you know, they're, they've taken some of the, you know, uh, bad actors, what they consider the bad actor containing, uh, that, the that's in coding materials and, uh, want the, those reduced. And, and, you know, we, you know, we've known for a while that these products are, are not the favorite of the industry to be in coatings, but they have to be in there in a lot of senses with the older technology, they were in there because that's how we have we we have to get the paint ready to put it on and create a film. So we have to be able to deliver it to the surface. Um, and so they've just done a, uh, a big change. And I think that's uh, part and parcel with what's causing some of the heartburn is that our industry um, just hasn't seen this type of change come uh, in in such a, a big way for a very long time, if ever. And so the, 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 the extractable changes and, and the amount of change is what's ca- causing the heartburn. So um, I guess it was inevitable that, that this was going to happen, but uh, it's still catching some people off guard and creating some heartburn. And hopefully uh, through podcasts and information sharing like this, we can, you know, calm some of that down and, and let people know where the industry stands. When you talk about the bad actors, let's, try to help people understand, you know, a little bit of paint chemistry, even though that's, that's a large and deep subject. But when you're talking about the bad actors in paint and the things that it has in it currently that makes it, makes it do what it needs to do, what in this new standard are they trying to reduce and how does that affect the coating? Well, the big, the big three that are, are causing the most issue are xylenes and xylene is used in a lot of solvent based products uh, to to uh, cut the product down the resin down to make it uh, apply properly and be able to spray it and brush and roll it and to make it do what it needs to do the other one is toluene another solvent uh, and then ethylbenzene so they're the three big ones that are making a huge uh difference in what we're seeing the huge change and if you look at xylenes which is the the biggest change and it's widely used i mean we take um we take paint and we we make it you know the resins epoxy everything come in solid form and we have to break those down to make them into a liquid and get them to be able to be applied and you know so xylene is a a major factor in that in, in being able to cut down the coatings now there are other solvents, but once again, 
these solvents were chosen over the years because of cost factors and effectiveness of cutting the material and all these things. So um, it was quite, most coatings contain xylene. Uh, most solvent-based coatings, pretty much all of them, uh, contain some level of xylene. So now we're seeing a switch uh, of, of those being reduced. So they're the three big ones. Uh, the the to- total xylene content, the toluene, and the ethylbenzene. And when you talk about being reduced, I mean, I think that's that's a an easy way to put it. They're really being reduced, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the challenge. Like for instance, currently, the current uh, level for for xylenes, for instance, is a thousand parts per billion. That's what we're allowed to do right now is there can be a thousand parts per billion of xylenes. It's being reduced to nine from a thousand to nine in, you know, a flick of a switch on uh, January 1st, 2023. We're going from being allowed to have a thousand parts per billion to having nine. Now, when I look at uh, toluenes going from a hundred to six, so still a, uh, uh, a, a relatively big change, but not as not as big as the xylene number. And then ethylbenzene is going from 70 to 14. So they're the three big ones um, that are are creating this uh, uh, sway and just and creating some nervousness because you know we've been upfront that this is a game changer. It is. It's it's virtually. That these changes are going to take everything that you currently know about uh, uh, potable water linings. I'm talking solvent-based ones now, which are still it still represents about 80% of the potable water lining market. About 80% we figure is still being lined with potable water. Uh, potable water tends to be in line with solvent-based epoxies. This change basically kills them all. It, it, it takes all of those current products that you're you're used to using, uh, the solvent-based products, and makes them uh, not usable. And eighty percent of the market is a big piece of the market. So, what do we? Where do we go from here, Murray? What What does this look like moving forward after January first of twenty twenty three? Well, and 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 here we, uh, you know, we've been talking to owners and engineers, and we we you know we did a webinar of our own and. We talked about this and and what we're trying to get everybody to understand is that yes this is a big change and it's a big change that uh everybody's going to have to swallow um it's not um it's not like this is blindsiding us i mean including manufacturers and the the industry has been making a slow but steady switch over to 100% solids. I mean, it's literal so if we're 80% of the market is solvent based, the other 20% is being handled by 100% solids technology. And and so that is tried and true now. I mean, we've been doing that for a very long time and we're very good at the 100% solids. But what the industry, what the owners and engineers, and this is what's causing a lot of the heartburn, have to understand that, um, and we'll talk a little bit later about what we're trying to do to alleviate this, but if, let's just paint a picture that all these products go away and we're left only with 100% solids. That's all we have. Well, the, the fact of the matter is the cost of doing a tank is going to go up. Yes, it is. Um, there's no doubt in my mind, even and we'll talk about this later, even if we can develop an alternative, it's still, the price is going to go up because it's not going to be the same as it was before. So there's, there's going to be an increase. And I mean, that's an unfortunate, um, uh, you know, regrettable uh, thing that happens when technology changes. And, I think that while the cost is going to go up initially, I think it always, there'll be a spike and then contractors and everybody will get more, get more used to it and competitiveness, you know, once more contractors are used to it and everything like that and, and, and it runs its course, I think you see it drop down again, like all technologies do, they drop back down and it'll find a new plateau. It'll find a new, a uh, new normal. And, and so, I mean, while prices are going to rise and there's a learning curve involved with 100% solids versus solvent-based, 
I think that the, 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 you don't, I, what I don't want people to do is to, to lose their minds and think that, you know, there's no answers and we have the answer now. It's just not the answer that people want. <laughs> you know, they, they, they want to keep costs down. I get that. You know, so budgets are, are tender. Um, but you know, this is, this is where we sit right now. So we got it covered. We have it covered and we have solutions currently. So we're not going to lose any ground there, but there are some heartburn associated with that. When you talk about 100% solids, for those who aren't in the coating industry, what are we talking about when we talk about 100% solids versus paint that has solvents in them? Okay, so just to, to really break it down, in, 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 to, to, in case there's somebody that's on this that really this is all you know French to them, say, uh, and being a Canadian, I understand that because I don't speak French either, so it's French to me sometimes. Um, is that you know all paint starts as 100% solids, and uh, and then we have to add solvent to break down because all paint's made up of a resin system, a pigments, and solvent, you know. And with solvent-based systems, you know, the old solvent-based systems, we had 50% solids. So 50% of it was the, the pigments and resin that stays behind when the solvents flash off. So solvent is a part of the delivery system that disappears and is not part of the final film. The solids are part of the final film. With 100% solids technology, what we have, and, and, and that's that kind of messes people up a little bit because it's not truly 100% solids. It's there's always a, um, and we're we're honest on our data sheets. We say 98% plus or minus two, because there's always some tail solvents in there because otherwise we wouldn't be able to get it out of the bucket and get it onto the wall or onto the tank or where we need to. So 100% solids just means that there's only a small amount of solvent in there. So we could call it solvent free because whenever, if you're 96% solids and above, it can, you can legally refer to it as hundred percent solids as kind of a catchphrase. So with, with that, there's, there's very little solvent in there, only enough to be able to get the, make the product a liquid. And then we, we require and when I say liquid, I, it's not really liquid. You know as well as I do. When you open up a bucket of 100% solids, it's more like a drywall mud than it is a liquid. But we can also use heat. So we, instead of using thinner to get that paint to a viscosity that allows you to apply it, we use heat to reduce the viscosity and be able to apply it. Now, with that comes special equipment because... You can't just mix this up like you used to mix up the old, you know, put part A and part B in, drill mix it, and then you got three, four, five hours to use it. Uh, 100% solids require special equipment, and that's where the expense comes in because the equipment's not cheap. And, and you have to preheat the material. It gets sprayed via what we call plural component application equipment. So it sucks part A and part B out separately to a spot in the system or mixing block where those two mix and then you have a short spray line out to the gun that you spray it on and this stuff kicks over very fast there's not a lot of pot life there pot life means when i put a and b together how long can i use it for how long is it good to use and the pot life on you know, standard epoxies our solvent-based epoxies can be two three four five up to eight hours, you know, that we have a pot life. With 100% solids and materials, you may have anywhere from seconds to 10, 15 minutes or less and anywhere in between, depending on the product you're talking about. So um, that's the difference. In 100% solids, it, it, you end up, what you put on, so if I put on, uh, if I have a 50% solids epoxy, I put it on the wall and, and I lose half of it. So if I put it on at 10 mils and I got a 50% solids epoxy, I end up with five mils of product on the wall after the solvent evaporates, right? I, I'm left with that usable product, the pigments and the resin that becomes part of the film. With 100% solids, if I put on 20 mils, I'm left with 20 mils. You know, once again, plus or minus 2%. 
So I, I end up, everything I put on there stays there. I don't lose any through evaporation. And the beauty of this is because there's no solvent, that these things don't extract anything. Because this is all about what could possibly leach into the water after it's cured, right? And there's nothing in this coating now, you know, the, the xylenes, the toluenes, the ethylbenzenes, these bad actors, that they're not there to be able to be a problem. So that's why that is the, ultimately right now, that will be the answer. Uh, in the short term until, you know, uh, you know, paint chemists and whatnot play with other ideas. And we can talk about that whenever you're ready. I can share some of the things we're working on with, without getting into great detail, but I can give you an idea that, that, you know, we're working on things, but um, that as it sits is what the hundred percent solids is and, and what we're looking at. And one of the things that, you know, this brings up is, this is, as you said, this is a gigantic change for the coatings industry that hasn't had a change like this in a long time. But in most cases in the water industry, like with VOCs, we've talked about you see that as a gradual change. And so you're able to accept it at a slower rate over time. Whereas this, I think some of the heartburn with everybody involved is just how quickly um, this is happening in an industry that doesn't move that quickly. You're absolutely right. Like the VOC regs, I mean, it started off, everything started, starts off with VOC changes, seems to start off in California, right? It's, it's been a long time in California where, uh, you know, the VOCs have been, you have to be under 100 grams per liter of VOC, uh, you know, you, and, and, and the other flip side of that, being from Canada, um, when I when I took this job with Sherwin Williams, which you know I spent the majority of my career in Canada before I I came to Sherwin Williams, and uh, um, you know, I've been doing this now for thirty eight years, and and Canada um, switched over. It's I can't remember. I mean, it, I'm going back probably twenty years ago. That um, probably roughly twenty, maybe a little bit longer. That since a since a solvent-based product was put in a potable water tank in Canada, we've been using uh, 100% solids in Canada for a very long time. Um, what's the so so Canada adopted it. California drives those VOC laws, and then because that's South Coast, and then now you have the VOCs for uh, OTC for OTC uh, states. There was OTC regulations, and now we're into phase two, which means everything has to be under 250 grams per liter. But it's been regional, like, you know, California started it, and then, you know, New York picks it up, and then a couple of states around New York pick it up, and then slowly but surely the other people adopt it. But they're given time to state by state to decide when they want to make that move, and and it's not a hard this, – this is NSF, which – you know, sort of overshadows the entire North American potable water market. So when they change the regulations, it, it's not at a state level. It's it's uh, North America wide. So it, it hits everybody immediately. There's no breathing room. Now, you know, we got till 2023. So I'm not going to say it's not like they gave us 24 hours notice uh, or, or, or a year. They're, they're telling us this is changing January 1st, 2023. So get in line. So, but you're right, the, the VOC regs change gradually where this is, is in, in effect state by state at slower rates. This is going to affect everybody at the same time uh, in, 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 you know, the click of the clock from December 31st, 2022 to January 1st, 2023, everything changes. And I think an important piece to bring up at this point is what we're saying is it changes on January 1st, 2023 moving forward. If you have a coating already on your tank that doesn't meet this standard, you don't have to go back and take it off and put one on that does, correct? Ab absolutely not. Yes, you're right. This this is not going to – it doesn't mean that people have to redo all their tanks before 2023. Whatever's on your tank now is going to be grandfathered in. And, and But when you – you know, when your tank – uh, as soon as you go past, if you were used to specifying, 
you know, standard uh, 80% solids epoxy, 75% solids epoxies, if that's what your specification is, is in 2023, that's going to have to change. So when you redo that tank, whenever that is, it could be 2030, you know, maybe you did it in 2022, you know, and in 2030 or 2035, when you redo it, these regulations, as long as, you know, it hasn't changed again by then, uh, will be in play. So, yeah, everything that's currently in play is going to be grandfathered in. So we talked about the people that this will affect. So let's try and break this down a little bit into the groups that it's going to affect and how it affects them because it affects each of them differently. So let's start at the high level with Sherwin-Williams and Coatings Manufacturers. Where, what, what does this new standard mean for you, your products, where you're going, what you're developing, and that kind of thing? Okay. Well, for us, I mean, for me personally and for our water group, I mean, we've been in play like we were probably one of the first, if not the first ones to come into market with a 100% solids products, both in polyurethane and epoxy. So we've been, we've now got 20 years, 25 years of uh, case histories and, and application uh, uh, experience with 100% solids. So that's nothing new to us. But what it what so we we're we're all set there. We got a great product line. We're ready to go. We got case histories. You got all that. We we got that down to a science, and and most manufacturers have that dialed in now, and and so we're we're there. And slowly but surely, the contractors have come aboard. But for, from the coating manufacturer standpoint, we're we're we. Sure, Williams, just for instance, I mean, we spend a lot of money on R&D, and I'm talking not just the Protective Marine Group, but if you look across our entire Sherwin Williams company, we spend more on R&D in a year than most of our manufacturers do in sales, our competitors. So we spend a lot on R&D, and we've been working on stuff all along to, to, to improve the industry. And it, we always base everything on, we're always trying to get a longer life cycle because that's what the owners and engineers tell us what they desire, is we want a coating that lasts longer. So we try to do that. And with 100% solids, we can do that because we can put it on at higher film build and cut labor costs and all that. So we've got that dialed in. What we're working on, because we realize that this is a, a challenge for everybody because the cost is going to go higher and, and, and they may not. So as an intermediate level, we're working on some technology and we're very close. In fact, we might be there. We're we're waiting for the the final kind of uh, round of testing and whatnot. Uh, the initial testing went well, but we don't want to jump up and down until we're until we have all of our ducks in a row. But we feel we have the the next generation of solvent based products ready to go that are going to meet this standard. And that doesn't mean they're the same. It's not the, you know the same as the old ones. It's still a it's still a change. Um, because we can't get the same attributes. Like we can get the same performance. What we can't get is the same application attributes. We're trying to get as close as we can. So that learning curve, which we'll, I'll talk about in a minute, is lessened. So we're working on a, um, uh, we're currently working on a system that uh, it's still going to be higher solids and it's not going to be, you know, 50% solids or anything like that by any stretch of the imagination or 60 or 70. It's got to, in order to get to these numbers, the solids got to go up and the solvent's got to come down, right? So we got to use less solvent. So what we're trying to figure out is how do we make this new next gen technology act as close as possible from an application standpoint to the old one so that there's less of a learning curve. So let's move over now to the contractors. And, and so that's, that's kind of where we sit as a, as a, as a manufacturer. Now the, the heartburn for the contractors, and this is near and dear to my heart because I was an applicator uh, for, for up until I was 35 years old. Um, I, I, you know, I've been uh, 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 in the coding industry my whole life. And one of the challenges we have in the coding industry is getting employees, good employees, training employees, and retaining employees. And and I'm just going to be blunt. Um, it's not as sexy of an industry to to the young people as per se is maybe being an electrician or getting into high tech. 
and, and I get that. But you can still make a really good living, a really good living as a painter. And we need painters. So the heartburn for the contractors is, I'll put it this way. One contractor said to us one day, he said, what I'm looking for when it comes to painting water tanks is I want somebody who can bench press 400 pounds because he's got to climb the tank. He's got to work. It's hard work, right? Blasting and painting is hard work. He goes, now with this new change, what you're asking me to do is find a guy who can bench press 400 pounds, but thinks like Einstein because the application equipment is more complex and more complicated. So I get that. It's really not that big of an issue. It looks like when you, if somebody, if you, you know, you've seen them and I've seen them and we know how they work, but if somebody, just a lay person didn't understand if you walked them in and showed them the plural component rig sitting in your floor, they would go, what the, really? <laughs> that, that's the equipment you've got to use? That looks really complicated. And it is compared to the old equipment. It's, it looks complicated and it is more complex and it is more, it does require more uh, of a, a technical know-how. But it's not, you know, it's not astrophysics. We're not trying to split the atom here. It's not, it's not that complicated. It's like taking two of the old pumps you used to put together and having them working simultaneously together with all kinds of other pumps and stuff to move material around. It's really not that complicated, but it looks complicated. So the heartburn for the contractor is how do I get my guys up to speed and trained to understand this new technology? And, and you know, it, it becomes more complex too because when I get rid of solvent, Solvent is an amazing thing. I mean, years ago, I, I painted for my dad, and we didn't do tank linings. We, we were more of a light industrial paint company. I didn't get into real anything heavy duty until I, I moved away and started working for other people. But my dad, we did a lot of work, uh, uh, light industrial, what I would call it, tank exteriors, and you know, plant repaints and side plants and stuff. And, and at, that, at that point, we used Elkid for everything. I mean, I put Elkid paint on for you know, like 10 years straight. It was because Elkid had that, that, that fudge factor in it because of the solvent, it would stick and it would soak in and it would, you know, it was very forgivable, you know, very forgiving coating and surface prep could be marginal because the solvent would get in there and bite in and, and help you with hundred percent solids. That surface preparation becomes very, very important because I got, I have no solvent, no, nothing soaking in. So the, the, you have to have better people doing your surface prep and you have to have better people doing your application and better people running your equipment. So that's what creates the heartburn for the contractor is that whole paradigm where I've got to retrain my staff and find the right people to do this job properly. Especially when you talk about the industry being 80% solvent based at this point. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a, there's a huge learning curve, but I'll tell you what, I mean, I have a lot of faith in our industry. I, 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 I sit on all kinds of committees. I talk to a lot of painters. I, I, I'm the chair of the SSPC and in Ontario, I'm heavily involved with SSPC. And I talk to a lot of contractors. And our contractor base is getting better and better and better and more sophisticated every year. And I really think that, you know, what I said before was, was somewhat backhanded i think that we're getting better and i think that the, the guys that we're finding now that are coming into our industry want to get better not all of them some of them just want a paycheck but you're never going to get rid of that but some of our guys want to go deeper they want to they want to learn they want to become experts they want to uh, you know look at it as a trade not a job as a skill set not just a job and that's what we need to look at and we need to say you know we have to take this from another level, it used to irritate me. It still irritates me when somebody says, ah, it's only paint. Anybody can do that. No, <laughs> you have to infinitely know way more to be an industrial painter than you need to know to be a plumber. I'm sorry. It, it's not even close, right? The, the stuff you've got to have and know to be a good industrial painter. So we're going to get there. It, it, it is going to be a learning curve because like you said, they're used to doing things a certain way. And, 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 and so whenever you try, people don't like to change, right? They, they, I mean, I don't really, 
I mean, if I look at my own personal life, I mean, I, I have my own, I have my uh, lazy boy chair my, and it's probably a little more beat up than it should be. And my wife would like to throw it out. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want any chair. This is, this knows my body. I knows exactly where to hug me at the right places. <laughs> and, and so I don't like change either. Nobody does. So that's a heartburn for the contracting community is they're going to be forced to learn some new skills. At the end of the day, it's all good for them. It's all good for the industry. Let's now move over to the owners and the engineers. I'm going to lump them kind of in the same bucket because they rely on each other, right? The owners rely on engineers to, to educate them and to be their kind of eyes and ears. And, and the engineering community has an even bigger change coming because if you have a guy, and I, this is what I deal with like five days a week, uh, seven in the morning till six o'clock at night is engineers are more reluctant to change. They are not early adopters of new technology. And I get it just by nature. And I probably, I might get some hate mail, but, or you might get some hate mail and you can forward it to me because I'm saying this, you're not. Um, engineers are very stuck in their ways and their classic response is I'm not going to be your guinea pig. Right. So uh, they want all this data, even though we've been making epoxy for years and we've been doing this for years, when we come out with a new product, and this is like same as the old product with slight tweaks to it, they lose their minds. Oh, we can't put that in the spec. We need five years of case histories and all this stuff, right? So it takes us forever to get new technology in. And that's why 100% solid epoxy right now is only 20% of the market and why this change over the next two and a half years is going to be painful is because they are taking so long to adopt the new technology, which isn't even new anymore. I mean, we're talking about 20-year-old technology, but they've been so dug in on solvent-based and they won't change their spec and they're not early adopters of new technology that we find ourselves where we are today. So they actually have a bigger challenge because what they're used to, even let's say, for instance, we this new product that we're working on turns out to be a winner and it turns out to be the, the, you know able to come to market and look more like the old one. That now, and this is what I was trying to share with people, that now is the new technology. So they're going to have to, in order to keep things kind of similar to what it was before, they're going to have to adopt this new technology almost immediately. So I think that's going to cause them some heartburn because usually they're the guys that say, I want five years of case histories. I want your firstborn child. I want all this for me to take a chance on this. And they're going to be forced, if you want to keep sort of similar to what you're used to doing, this is the new technology. The tried and true technology that you so much love is actually the stuff that you've been rejecting for the last 20 years. So there's a whole paradigm shift there where they have to start thinking differently. And I think that what we're going to see is we're going to see them adopt this new technology much faster than they've been willing to accept 100% solids. And the reason why is is due to the cost difference because what we're shooting for is a new product that can be applied with the with similar equipment to what you're used to using for solvent-based epoxy. So non-plural component application. So uh, a big airless pump uh, and, and you don't have to do it in a plural. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how they adopt that and how quickly that's adapted and put into specifications. And the flip side of that is is one of the other heartburns that, you know, whenever we come out with a new technology that's cutting edge, let me let me point out for one, for instance, our OEP, our OptiCheck, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, I think you probably are, uh, optically, optically active pigments that we put in our primers to help with the application process. Because we were the only ones that have it, nobody else has adopted it, we have a hard time getting in a specification because that would create a sole source spec. So that would we would be the only ones that have it, so therefore they won't specify it. We could run into the same problem with this new technology. What if we're the only company that come up, can come up with it? What are they going to do then? Are we going to be sole source spec? 
uh, that's a hard pill to swallow for them. So that could create some more issue as well. So we don't know how that's going to roll out. All we can do as a company is develop the new technology, and we think we have a winner, is develop the new technology and, and bring it to market, and the chips will fall where they fall as far as the specification position goes and, and who adopts it and who rejects it. And, but the only alternative to that new technology is going to be going to 100% solids. There's no, now there's no in-between. It's going to be new or it's going to be to what we currently have and know that's going to work and that's 100% solid. So now we've talked about Sherwin-Williams is the paint manufacturer, contractors, engineers. What about that tank owner? They rely on all of these different people to help them solve a problem that they have with their water tank. How is this going to affect them at the end of the day? And what are the things that tank owners should be thinking about as this new, as this new thing comes forth in January 1st of 2023? Well, you're absolutely right, because at the end of the day, the whole industry exists because there's an owner with an asset, right, that he needs to protect. So so that owner holds the cards because, you know, me and you, we get paid to provide a service. And if that service is not purchased, then we don't have an income or, or we can't sell our product. You can't put people on site to paint. Uh, tanks. And to the same respect, the engineer doesn't have any work either because he's relying on the owner. So everything ultimately comes back to the owner. So, and the owner's the guy that's got to write the checks. So what I would say to that is that, you know, based on what we know, we know that film build, uh, putting a certain amount of film on it creates longer life cycle. Now there's a the, there's a, a a point of diminishing returns there, but we know that if we put on X amount of uh, paint, we can expect X amount of life cycle. So either way, you know the new technologies that we're developing, we're developing with new mindsets, new resin systems, and I think what the the owner, even though he's going to pay more. You have to always amortize everything over life cycle. So we can't just look at the upfront cost. Because <clears throat> if you just look at the upfront cost, you know, the sticker shock's going to floor you every time. You have to look at and say, I'm going to spend this much money, but I'm going to get this much uh, life cycle out of it versus, okay, I was only spending this much money. So the difference is uh, I, I'm putting on more and of a better product and therefore it's going to last longer. So I have to amortize that cost over the life cycle of the asset. So they're going to have to come up with more money up front, which is the, is the crux of the issue is because they're already squeezed, right? Municipalities already are squeezed for budget and already, but they have to figure out a way to stretch that, uh, to get that money and to be able to stretch it somehow and, and to stretch it out over a longer period of time. Because not painting the asset and, and not protecting it, you know, you and I have both seen um, situations where the um, owners have neglected the water tank for a very long time. And now you go in and the repair that you have to do is extensive. You got steel wash, you got pitting, you got all this stuff happening. So it ends up costing them more money because they left it too long. In fact, I had one here in Canada back when I, because I ran my own coding inspection and consulting firm before I came back to Sherwin Williams. And we had a tank that we were scheduled to um, be part of and they were going to, you know, blast and paint this tank. And it had been left a long, long time. Well, the project got started and mobilized and the contractor gone on site and started blasting well we were blasting holes in the roof right there were just holes there was so much material loss that they were actually the sandblasting process was blasting holes in the tank so so it was a hard stop and everybody demobilized and they made a decision that it wasn't worth saving so they ended up tearing the tank down and putting up a new one um, so, so that could have been avoided had they, uh, you know, paid attention a little bit, uh, and done better maintenance, but that, that's really, uh, what they have to look at is that, you know, you, you're going to get a longer life cycle out of these new coatings and you have to amortize that payment 
over a longer period of time. So at the end of the day, I think, uh, I, I know that at the end of the day, it becomes cheaper, even though the upfront cost is more, when you amortize it over the life cycle, it's actually less expensive. Because you know, and I do, the cost of mobilization, access, right? So you got to build a scaffold. You got to, you know, get to the this surface. You got all your surface preparation. You know, that is all the same, whether I'm putting on a 50% solids epoxy or putting on 100% solids or 90% solids or whatever. So all of that stays the same. The only difference is how much paint I'm putting on and the material I'm putting on, right? So everything else is still the same. And even with the 100% solids or the new products when they come out, that won't change. What's going to change is the amount of paint you put on and how long it lasts at the end of the day. So the cost factor is, isn't going to be so detrimental. It's going to be more. I can tell you that right now. It's going to be more. Uh, and, and, and then you're going to, you're going to see longer life cycles, but here's the other thing. Here's the other, and this is big. This is the heartburn coming from the owners. I'm already, the owners are saying to me, we're already having a hard time attracting people to bid our projects. We get complaints all the time. I put a bid out and I only get one, two, three guys or two guys or one guy that wants to bid the project. And, and we're afraid that when we do this and we make it more complicated, some people will drop out. And my answer to that is, you know what? You're right. There, there will be some people that go, you know what? This 100% solid stuff is, is too complex. I don't want to invest in the equipment. I don't want to train my guys or I don't think we can find the right guys. And, and, and we're just going to go do something else that's less complicated. You're right. That, that's going to happen. And if there's less people involved, the price is probably going to go up. But I have a lot of confidence in the contracting community. I've said this for a long time. The, the price of doing a water tank, in my opinion, not again, this is Murray Haywood speaking, not Sherman Williams or not McGuire Iron, this is Murray Haywood. I think we've been giving it away, personally. I don't think that we should turn the tank painting business into the bridge business where it's just this sort of commodity paint thing. There's a skill set. There's, there's a, a, a aspect of safety and, and danger working on heights and all these things. It should get a premium and you should never put yourself in a position where you're chasing a low bid to get a guy who's going to not do the best job when you're painting something like a water tank, you should always do it the best you can first time to get the longest life cycle you can. That will always be the cheapest way. So you're right. We will lose, they're right. We will lose some guys who, who don't do it, but the good guys will circle back. They'll bolster their, their teams. They'll, they'll invest and they'll take on more tanks. You know, it's not like we're going to run out of people who are willing. We're talking about North America. We're talking about us in Canada where entrepreneurship is still reigns supreme, at least it should. If it's not, then there's something wrong with our system. And somebody will step up to the plate to solve the problem. And there will be some hiccups along the way. There's no doubt about that. But I have confidence that the contracting world, if they can be profitable, part of the reason why we lose contractors is because as soon as you make something a commodity type job, you get those good guys that go, nah, I can make more money doing something else. I'm going to forego this market and go somewhere else where I can make more money. We shouldn't let water tanks get to that point. It should be a premium. You pay for it, and you should get what you pay for in a long life cycle out of it. That's what you should get. Well, and plus, water. <laughs> the difference with water tanks is that's that's potable water that when people turn on their faucet needs to be you know, clean and safe. It's huge. I want to know that when I turn on my tap, I'm getting good water. I want my kids and my grandkids to get good water. I don't want any problems, right? So, so it's got to be. It's not like painting a bridge. Like I'm not, and I'm not trying to pick on bridge painters, but but we've kind of let that bridge market, in my opinion. Once again, Murray Haber's opinion and hate mail. Send it to my uh, email address. Uh, this is not McGuire Iron saying this. It, it, we've let that market get to the point where it's not even—it's barely worth it to bid the work. You know what I mean? Like it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's so 
down and dirty. And that's not a good, that's not where I want the water tank business to go. It's not where it should go. It's too important um, to let it get there. It's, it's a complex structure in a sense, and it's, it, it needs to be done right. There's, there's a lot on the line because it is our potable water that our kids our grandkids and our wives, and everybody's drinking. So it's got to be done right. And, and it should draw a premium. It should be the best of the best going after this. Should be the best contractors playing in this market and making money. Making money is not a bad thing. Everybody needs to make money, right? So we, that's not race. That's not racist to the bottom. And let's not let's not make this some sort of commodity market. And that's that's why I hate the whole low bid wins thing. Right? You know, low bid wins is great if it's from a, a select group of good contractors. Now let them battle it out between those good guys to see who, who who's going to do that job for the least amount amongst those guys. But when you have, you know, more fly the night guys bidding against good guys, then the price variation is so large. But that that golden egg is sitting there for the municipality. You know, well I got this guy; he's at a million dollars. I got this guy; he came in at four hundred thousand. You know, and that golden egg is so enticing. It's like that squirrel, you know, they, and the shiny object that they get focused on. Oh, I'm going to take the 400,000. No, you know, run, don't go to the light. <laughs> run away. You know, <laughs> it's not worth it, right? It's just, it's a bad idea. And I, I know that because I've done a lot of contract administration work. I've seen it happen time and time again where the shiny nickel gets their attention and then and then you know the problems come up and, and it ends up not being the cheapest solution uh, at the end of the day so so what what final thoughts do you have for for us on the new uh standard and what what we can expect from sherwin williams as we get closer to january 1st 2023 well i mean that's a that's a great question and, and all i like i would like the audience to know all the owners engineers the contractors everybody is that you know we got this you know we have the answers right now we're not going to miss a absolutely aren't going to miss a step um in 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 servicing this industry we got it covered you know it may not be with the product that you that you're comfortable with or that you're used to but we have the answers currently right now in place so we're not going to miss a step the new products uh, are coming uh, we're working on it we should have a really good idea um I, I i plan to have a really good idea where we sit with new technology by the first quarter 2021 you know and that's really best i can give you without giving you too much i probably gave you too much already in my my head office is probably said, shut up Mary. uh but we're 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 close and and once we get there um you know and and we have it then we're going to be coming to everybody with the new solution and, and trying to get it on specs and get it into tanks because uh there's no sense waiting <laughs> you know and and what the owner of the engineering community is going to have to get used to is you're going to have to, if you want to uh, keep things sort of in check, you're going to have to be an early adopter of this new technology. So that's where rubber's going to meet the road. How much, you know, if we come out with this new technology, how many of them are going to be willing to give us a shot? And, and uh, based on all the vetting that we're doing, uh, you know, it's not like we're, we're making it in a bathtub and, We'll finish the formula tonight. We're going to come to you tomorrow and ask you to put in a tank. We're we're taking this through the ringer, okay? Because we don't want any headaches either. We don't want any problems. So we're vetting this out completely, which is why it's taking so long. Um, we're vetting this out completely to make sure that what we have is going to work long term. Everybody's going to be happy, and 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 the heartburn is going to be lessened. So when we come out with that. I'm asking the engineering owner community to be open-minded to a technology change and to, 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 you know, realize they're going to have to, at some point, become early adopters. Because if they're going to sit in the weeds and, and wait for somebody else to make a move, then, then we're dead. Because here's how it works. I always tell owners and engineers, if you... Don't make the move first. The contractors won't follow you. Follow you. You have to be the first ones to make the move. If you don't, then the contractors will just keep 
staying the same way because their their goal is to win projects. So they have to, the owners and engineers have to drive change. That's who drives it because if it's not in the spec, you're not going to apply it. And it has to get in specifications first. So that'll be our first uh, target. Obviously, first and foremost, when we when the new product, when we got a new product ready, we always come to guys like McGuire and say, here, let's do some field trials. Tell us what you like about it, what you don't like about it. What can we tweak about it? That's already been done for the most part. Um, that 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 pr- process is 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 close to being finished. Um, and so we we've already dealt with a lot of that. So the next step is just the regulatory requirements to to meet the the NSF standards, and then we'll be looking for 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 trials. Uh, and for spec positions. This is all great information. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today with me and helping owners, engineers, contractors understand more about this new uh, specification and regulation and uh, how Sherwin-Williams is is there to help and what you guys are up to to help the coatings industry meet these standards. Absolutely. Everybody just breathe um, it, it's a big change, but uh, I believe we got this. And as an industry, we'll get through this change. And, and I think we'll come out the other side better for it. Um, and, and so, yeah, everybody just breathe and, and let's not panic. Uh, we, I, I believe we have this. Remember, you can always connect with us by going to our website, mcguireiron.com. You can ask questions by sending us an email at info at mcguireiron.com. Or you can follow or reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us on the McGuire Iron Podcast.